3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. CR would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we broadcast and we would also like to pay our respects to the Punurung and Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. Good morning and you're listening to The Breakfast Show. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning, Dean. <laughs> uh, my microphone is hanging down, so I might let you, let our listeners know what's going to yeah. be on the show no. and what today is, actually. <laughs> no problem. Well, today is Wednesday, the 10th of October, and if you're not sure, that is actually International World Mental Health Day. So today we will be kind of theming the show around, well, raising awareness for mental health, uh, different support services you can reach out to, and just kind of, I don't know, well, celebrating the day. October itself is actually um, World Health Month. Uh, but, yeah, today is World Mental Health Day. So we'll kind of be having that coming up on the show. Uh, we're going to get alternative news out of the way at about 7.15. But then we're going into, um, well, an interview from the Australian Psychology Society and President Ross Knight. And we're going to talk to him about kind of, well, understanding what his society is all about and the services he provides. Uh, mm. A little bit mm. about that, right, Dean? And I think the idea is um, that they've, they've, it's an organisation that have been around now for 52 years. Um, we've had the pleasure of speaking to Professor Lynn Littlefield um, a couple of years back, and it's just about informing um, uh, people, I guess, and promoting a greater understanding of mental health issues and encouraging reporting, but also how people can utilise their services to find the right psychologist if they think that they've got a problem or a family member has a problem. And then at 7.45, an interesting um, uh, sort of, well, not interesting, but it was quite um, unique to get this report about uh, neurological alliance groups calling for the government to not abandon 80,000 Victorians with mm. neurological conditions, especially seeing as though that's where mental health sort of yep. sits. Yeah, um, and it looks like the funding gaps uh, might be effective from next year, which might result in the loss of services. So we're speaking to um, the president there, so the, the CEO, Rodney Harris, at 7.45, and then I think at about 8, we'll just be fluid. Yeah. <laughs> at 8 o'clock, we've got a um, – oh, I caught up with some people last week. Now, it's a very cool student-led uh, campaign in the Council of Monash. Um, and I'm actually a local of Monash, so I was very excited to hear some noise. But, um, yeah, it's, it's youth-led student campaign about uh, called Raise Your Hand uh, for Monash. And it's all about trying to get uh, a Headspace uh, facility in the Council of Monash. So for those of you who don't know, Headspace is a nationwide uh, organisation that kind of looks to promote mental and physical health within youth. So they do provide things such as counselling sessions, but they also have things like band rooms, and they're just a fantastic source of community and uh, resources for young people. So the City of Monash, as you'll come to find, are in call for one of those <laughs> Um, and that will be with uh, Mayor Paul from Monash and student Wesley. And um, if, if you're interested in a few things that are happening around uh, Mental Health Week, as I mentioned, today is um, the mm -hmm. Mental Health Day. 
Yep. Uh, <laughs> there is a carnival in the north, which is at the Playford Civic Centre. Um, and what it does is it's a, really a, an event that showcases the skills and talents of people living with a mental illness. Uh, you can go to the uh, website called mhcsa.org.au um, and tomorrow, you know, and they've got some city events and then they've also got some uh, rural events as well. So hmm. it will talk, you know, it will show you things like there's a five-day workplace challenge that businesses could have signed up for. It's a bit late for that, but you can do that <laughs> next year. Um, yeah, so that's a mental health coalition. Yeah, got some events. we'll be keeping you up to date with all the events coming up. And remember, throughout this, um, the website to go to is http uh, semicolon slash slash 1010.org.au. That is today's uh, the World Inter- sorry International Mental Health Day's official website. So that was just 1010.org.au. And that can give you all the information. Um, we'll also be finishing up the uh, show with a little bit of an odd segment. We thought we'd get some different people's opinions about uh, what the definition of mental health is and what they do to keep mentally healthy. And if you're listening and you have an idea of what your definition is or you'd like to comment, we'd love to hear you on our new SMS, which is 0488. 809-855. So that was 0488-809-855. And yeah, that'd be great to hear. Go to a few announcements and we'll be back to uh, yeah. alternative news. Alternative news. Woo. Have you been a patient at Monash Health? Then we need your help. Because we care for patients from so many countries speaking so many different languages, we need your help to make the patient experience better. To make a real difference, register to be a consumer advisor. Visit the Monash Health website, monashhealth.org. Monash Health is a 3CR supporter. The Environmental Film Festival Australia is on again. See the impact of climate change and meet heroes fighting for justice. Witness the beauty of nature and hear the sounds of our world. Meet the filmmakers and experts inspiring change and join the conversation to create a sustainable future. Face the facts, face the future, face the films. The Environmental Film Festival Australia in Melbourne from October the 11th to the 19th. Tickets at effa.org.au. A 3CR supporter. Uh, Hi, my name's Sarah. I love coming here because they offer vegan food. Hi, my name's Paul. This is my first time at Friends of the Earth. I think it's really awesome and the food's great. Really healthy and nutritious. Friends of the Earth Food Co-op, 312 Smith Street, Collingwood. A tuneful experience. A 3CR supporter. And you're listening to 3CR. It's the 10th of the 10th. It's International uh, Mental Health Day. Anyway, I've got a little bit of alternative news before we get into events going around today. And it's kind of actually to do up in New South Wales and the Sydney Opera House. So this week, or kind of last week this week, uh, New South Wales Governor Gladys Berejiklian had approved a plan for the Everest horse race to be projected onto the Sydney Opera House as one kind of massive advertisement of the upcoming races. 
Now, not surprisingly, there's been a massive public backlash against this about changing the national icon to what people are calling a billboard for the races, including specifically the chairman of the Opera House, Louise Heron. Now, um, all going through last week, this was a big controversial thing. And then on Friday, right, everyone's favourite right-wing commentator, Alan Jones, came out on Friday and decided to berate her on air, um, on a call, harassing, haranguing, and generally using bully tactics to try and change her stance on it, to try and say, you know, what's the problem with this? Now, Never mind that he has a few <laughs> horses himself. Yeah, and we're going to get to this because almost immediately after that phone call and those bullying tactics, the final agreement went through. And whilst they decided to take off things like the brand and the logo, they decided to remain with the trophy being projected onto the sales, uh, with Gladys saying that this was a good compromise. Uh, in the developments coming out of that, Prime Minister Scomo hasn't been silent. He said that um, it's a no-brainer, and he was kind of he kind of ticked people off for being precious about yeah. their national icon. Yeah. <laughs> and I think Alan Jones's uh, comment was it was uh, childish stuff, and I'm pretty sure yeah. ScoMo might have been on uh, Alan Jones's side. I think so. He also said, "Hey, it's the biggest billboard in the in the state. Why wouldn't we use it?" Hmm. So um, here's a few things I kind of thought about with this whole thing. Uh, the first one is you know the continual rise of corporatization into our national identity and that kind of influence of, you know, do we want to project a massive gambling, you know, <laughs> animal cruelty spectacle or event onto our sales uh, and the soft power that rises from it. Uh, the second one was kind of the question of when, whether Sydney Opera House should be used in advertisement board uh, versus national protest. And this is quite fascinating because last night um, uh, so many people came out in protest. They actually held uh, what they called a light protest. So they were projecting little lasers onto the Sydney Opera House sails. Yeah, and using torches and lamps. And, and using torches. Like that, yeah. And, yeah, so obviously uh, quite a few people are still very upset about this. And we've actually had uh, a petition signed with over 230,000 signatures. On the other hand, there is a point to be raised that the, the, the Opera House, and this is the devil's advocate argument, of course, uh, the Opera House was actually built on gambling money. So a lot of opposition, like Alan Jones, has come mm. out and said, well, it's in its history. So that's just another point to kind of keep in this idea. But I think the most important thing about this entire debacle that's kind of gone on is the fact that Mr. Alan Jones, once again, used his platform on radio and his uh, call-out to uh, Louise Heron to... And then through bullying and intimidation, managed to somehow get his way into Parliament and into that policy decision and agreement. So on Friday, he did call her up and he did use bullying tactics. And he's got a historical use of this. I mean, uh, there's an example a few years back of Mike Bard, an attack that was being brought in for horse racing. Mm. And Alan Jones called him up and berated him, you know, and, and, and it, it ended up going his way. So it's kind of this fact that we're allowing this, this right-wing commentator, who is in the media, not the government, to have so much power and sway over our, over our policy. Yeah. 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 Um, especially when you've got 230,000 people going, hey, no. It just takes one man to pick on a woman on air. And it passes. And it passes, yeah. Yeah, so I thought that was pretty horrifying. Um, another thing I thought, which hasn't been so much criticised, and one woman is doing a fantastic job, her name is Michelle Gratton. She's written for the ABC in the conversation, and she's pointed out that this was reported mainly in New South Wales by newspapers that support Alan Jones and support racing. Yeah. Um, and didn't highlight the fact that Alan Jones has huge ties with the racing corporation, and huge investment in these companies. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but she does hold out hope for us. She does actually bring in a reality check by referencing Rebecca Huntley, who suggests that we have less to fear than we thought because it, she's been studying kind of this sort of influence of commentators. And she said, 15 years of research, and I haven't found that Alan Jones to be much more influential than voters, than the ABC or the Sydney Morning Herald. His only power become, uh, is because politicians think he is. Yeah. So I suppose that's kind of a double-edged sword is the fact that He's not as powerful as we make him out to be. However, the politicians in power at the moment definitely consider him to be influential and sway people. And it's interesting that um, we don't hear Alan Jones in Victoria, mm, Perth, definitely. Adelaide. Yeah. So, and yet he's know. such a big voice yeah, that we yeah. hear about because he's constantly you know, uh, doing a Trump grabbing a megaphone saying out something outrageous. Mm, mm. <laughs> and then, yeah, and even to the point where I think it was a couple of years ago he got fined mm, for, yeah, yeah. you know... Um, Taking it a bit too far. Yeah, yeah, and and so it's, it's interesting too that there is um, that whole idea that... Uh, there's never going to be one person in the media that can have that power. Like yeah. when he goes, so we just had the death of Ron Casey, mm. who was another shock jock, but nobody in Victoria really took him seriously. Yeah. And everything Alan Jones sort of says, we sort of go, okay, he's a shock jock. Mm. But the, 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 the groundswell of yeah. anger against him last night yeah. was pretty evident. Like a lot of people, as well as protesting against what was happening... Protesting him. They were pro- protesting him. Yeah. And I think that is really important is the fact that it's moved away from the Sydney Opera House to the fact that it's yet again him using, as we said, blatant bullying to get his own way. And, yeah, people have had a problem with that. So I guess the danger of him um, exists in the belief that politicians hold with him and the, the power they endow on him, not us. But who listened? <laughs> who are the people that listen to him? Because obviously the people that turned up there yeah. wouldn't be part of his mainstream audience. I wouldn't think so, no. Yeah. no. I think that'd be the opposition. Um, also, I thought this was fascinating in the background of the allegations we covered last week with the ABC. So uh, we've been looking at government interfering in media. Yeah. Now we're looking at media interfering, <laughs> interfering in government. government. So I think we've got a little bit of a re- review kind of <laughs> coming up. Um, the other thing I thought was a fun thing to add to this entire debacle is the fact that um, after this came out... And uh, the, the, the New South Wales uh, ministry got slammed, absolutely slammed by the public for this, this decision. Uh, Gladys tweeted um, that we are putting a stop to internet trolls and other cowards who use internet or text message to abuse their victims. The New South Wales government will amend the legal definition of stalking and intimidation to include online activities and messages sent on mobile phones. And what I find really funny and insulting about this is the fact that a week ago in the conversation, I was reading an article about a poor woman who was being stalked by her husband with a drone. And this whole, this sounds like a tangent, one, stay with me. This whole article was about the new use of technology and stuff like that. To, um, to, to go into a new mode of abuse, for domestic abuse. So she was talking about the fact that um, they would be sent harassing messages online. They'd be sent, uh, they'd be stalked with technology. They'd, they'd be controlled through their phones. And I think it's quite insulting that Gladys has chosen this opportunity where people have taken to the streets to use their democratic right to have their, their freedom of you know, expression yeah. and thought to go, no, this is where we're going to make it you know, this is online bullying and stalking, instead of focusing on something like an actual issue like domestic violence. And I, I, I thought that was 
that was just a huge insult to me, I found. Yeah, and I think what's also interesting is uh, the lack of understanding as mm. to the, 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 I guess, even the security concerns around um, charging people for using their mobile phones, mm. you know. But yeah. you're right. Like, if you look at what's happening, young men are dying, the suicide rate is yep. up high, you know, domestic violence is on the increase, yep. but let's focus on... But no, it's, it's, it's you criticising the ministry's policy mm. that defines as stalking. So, you know, peaches and oranges. And I was just a little bit like, we have a few other epidemics where people are actually being stalked and insulted. Yeah. Maybe you bring that, sorry. To the forefront. Amend to legal definition and for those reasons, not because your ministry is getting attacked because it's using a national icon as a billboard. Yeah. And, and <laughs> following on from that, like yeah. I, I think you, you mentioned that, that billboard, I think the Wallabies had advertised on there mm. and Vivid had so, advertised yeah, on yeah. there. And obviously people are saying, well, that wasn't gambling. Mm. We wake up this morning with the news that, um, and I guess it's a bit of a flow-on effect, that Australian sporting stars are sort of getting together to demand a ban on alcohol advertising across all, really? all sporting codes. Yeah. Um, and, and it turns out that during the NFL Grand Final, there were over 150 adverts for alcohol in wow. that time frame, yeah. which obviously has those flow-on effects for, for do you think about the amount of young kids who are watching? Well, I know, that? just coming out of school, um, the fact that we get heavily taught about uh, alcohol advertising and gambling advertising, and yet we're watching, you know, we're sitting down, <laughs> you see a gambling ad going, don't gamble, you pass it on to your children. Yeah. And then you see a gambling ad. Yes, yeah, straight And you after, see another gambling ad. After. And it's, yeah. it's disproportionate and it's like, oh, how are we supposed to escape this as a culture? And I think <laughs> in a sense it's like they're, they're, they're of, they, they have to be deliberately preying on Aussie children yeah. through sport and through yeah. adverts in the middle of the day. So I guess they're so desperate to market to kids mm. that they're taking advantage of uh, some exemptions that might allow them to, to show their alcohol advertising Mm. During children's viewing hours. Yeah, no, know. it's 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 weird. Because Channel Seven and Channel Nine, Channel Not, Channel Ten, the mainstream ones, mm. there's some regulations. But once you go to the second and third channels, like Mate or whatever, yeah, you know those ads can just roll no. all day because yeah. obviously it's not the public broadcaster's main station. This is a secondary station. Yeah. So you might have a, an alcohol ad during. Um, Thomas the Tank or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is a frightening concept. And I think a, a, a point this, this does raise is the fact that um, people have had such an issue with this one in particular, I believe, because it's gambling and it's being projected onto a building which we consider part of our national identity. Yeah. So yeah. it really is, not a, it's not the Wallabies, it's going, hey, we as a country like gambling, yeah. we're going to support gambling and we're yeah. going to celebrate it. And I think that's where people have gone, whoa, 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 whoa. And that makes sense. And it's Total it's, sense, for, yeah. for people like Alan Jones not to, <laughs> not to get why there's mm. an uproar around it, it then goes back to, well, where's his stance on it? Is it, it for financial gain or yeah. is it really? Because if you think about, I mean, the amount of, they were saying mm. that this race, the Everest, whatever it's called, had the most amount of gambling money taken last year. It was its first year. Yeah. This is its second year. Yeah. So if you think about this race and ha the impact it's had, it's had more money than the Melbourne Cup. Mm. Yeah. And it's, that's why there's that uproar. Definitely. It's that famous thing. And um, that's that was what Scott Morrison was going in for. He was going, hey, this is fantastic for New South Wales. We're going to get a lot of money out of it. And When yeah. is it going to stop, though? That's like the if, state of it. If, if, <laughs> the fallout, obviously... From this, if if it had gone ahead, 
You're oh, right. It it's has, the biggest billboard. Not... It, you, it, it's, it's the, the biggest, biggest billboard in the world. So mm. you could put anything on there. Yeah. You know, you could have car companies advertising. Stop? You know, we could have Where does radio it end stations, with our, with TV. our national interest. Yeah, <laughs> What's our national right. interest going to be next? Yeah. IKEA. You know. It's crazy. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, um, just for some other things, I've, I've got a few events here. So we've got the time, so I'll read them out yeah, now. Yeah. Um, if you're in Box Hill today at 9 o'clock a.m., but I believe it's running for quite a while, there is the Peer Effect, How to Make Your Lived Experience Count, Celebrating and Recoveries and Empowering Others in Theirs. So this will be a forum which focuses on peer work and peer workers in the eastern region of Melbourne and provides information to people with lived experience of mental uh, illness or uh, health and substance use of ish, uh, issues, so and or, and it can talk about how they can experience that and then how they can make a difference in themselves and others in their recovery. So that sounds pretty cool. It's also free, which to a <laughs> struggling student like I, yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> Makes there's, perfect sense to go in there. <laughs> exactly. Oh, free events are great. Free events are fantastic. You get everyone. I love it. Um, we also have I Infinity Festival 2018. So this is Transcending Trauma Mental Health Week. And this is in the Fitzroy Town Hall, so nice and local to us, uh, on today at 6 p.m., so a little bit later to 10 p.m. And if you want to find out more, you can go to www.i-infinity.com.au. That was just www.i-infinity.com.au. Or talk to Sophie Pham at 04... Uh, Two zero five eight zero four five eight, and she gives that number out on the website, and she's happy for you to get in contact. And, and the other free one uh, you mentioned that um, Monash, uh, 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 you know, leading the way. There is a free mental health forum mm. um, at Oakley Grammar on Friday, the nineteenth, so between ten thirty and twelve thirty, um, and it's at Oakley Grammar Conference Centre, and it's free. Yeah. Uh, I think if you want to find out a little bit more about what the city of Manish are looking to do for its mm. constituents, that'll be a good one to attend. Definitely, definitely. Um, it, it's interesting having a World Mental Health Day down, down here because I always think of Are You OK Day back in September. Mm. So it's, mm. it's, it's great that we have these opportunities to have multiple times in the year to kind of to, to raise awareness and bring attention to this. And, yeah, I think it will be – I think I think if you look into your local council near you, there will be something going on and you, you want to get involved because it's people's stories and stuff like that, which will be – and I think the opportunity to speak to uh, APS um, in about 15 minutes, 10 minutes' time will be great, just to get yeah. some um, basic to's. advice. Yeah. Well, I definitely yeah. think, especially with mental health and kind of not the stigma or the barrier, but like um, it, it can often be in, in, inaccessible. So it'll be great to hear from the APS and kind of break down those things of just how do we get involved, how do we help. Um, yeah, I, I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Making it really accessible. Well, we've we've moved ahead from that stigma, which is great. Yeah. You know that people can talk about it, mm. them not feeling well, which is fantastic. Um, might go to a track. Mm-hmm.
And that was Take These Blues Away by the Royal Hijinks, a uh, little uh, Victorian band. So, yeah, they're hitting up a lot of uh, folk festivals. <laughs> I suggest you check them out. I really enjoy them. They've got one about the Ferris wheel in Melbourne. And it's, I think it's called the Wheel of Misfortune because it's about how it keeps breaking because it's not really suited to this climate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wonder why. Um, I, wonder I wonder why, why the, wheel, the London eye keeps working but ours <laughs> keeps breaking down. Talking about that, though, it has been absolutely beautiful weather for the start of the week. And then yesterday was a little bit of a confusing uh, dip in that. <laughs> However, I do believe it's coming back up today with a top of 18 degrees. It's becoming sunny, so it's probably going to be a little cloudy in the morning, but uh, zero chance of rain at the moment. And yeah, it looks like it's going to be quite beautiful. Winds are southeasterly. Southeasterly? Southeasterly. Read the wind. Um, well, you can do the classic finger in the yeah, air, or yeah. you can, if it's it's south, it's freezing cold. Oh, <laughs> it's, the, it's the Antarctic <laughs> wind going up to hurt us. Yeah, yeah, well, um, I, I, I can never work it out. People are always no. like, oh, it's a northerly. It's like, well, from where I'm well, standing, then. it looks like it's going in the opposite direction. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But, you know, it's a, and that's what surprises me about people who used to read stars and mm. and navigate around the world. Yeah. With just a compass and, you know, <laughs> where... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I reckon they didn't call it. I reckon they just, like, hoped and 50% of the time they were okay. Yeah, yeah. The world is flat. Let's go. Let's have a look. Yeah. Now, <laughs> we're going to introduce our next uh, segment in a little bit, but, uh, uh, Dean, you were pointing out the other day that it's actually... Um, international... Uh, sorry, World Day... Ho- ho- homeless Day. Yeah, Homeless Day. Thank yeah. you. Which falls on the same day. International Which falls on the same day. day. So we've, we're, we're focusing on mental health, but I think that's also a huge thing to pay attention to. And we're going to get a list of shows that um, 3CR covers because we get a lot of different coverage um, from these different communities and I think you should be listening to them to hear their voices rather than us just telling you about their voices. <laughs> uh, um, I think there's a... I always forget how there's um, on the show most those days. Yeah, um, definitely. So but we'll get those for you and have them coming up. As we go along, I'll... Um, yeah, it's time now to introduce our next guest. Um, I did mention that... Um, Previously, I'd spoken to uh, Professor Lynn Littlefield, who is the Executive Director of the Australian Psychological Society, and this was back in 2016 (laughs) when the organisation was celebrating 50 years of service. So two years on, I thought during this um, uh, Mental Health Week, it would be great to touch base with the Australian Psychological Society as they um, seem to have a, obviously a, a large contingent of psychologists who are associated with them and they do have experts uh, available, obviously, on their, um, their roster. But to find out a little bit more about what the Australian Psychological Society does and to get some practical advice for people who might be looking for... I guess um, for a psychologist to try and, you know, um, find out how to get the best psychologist. I thought we would talk to the president of Ross the Australian Knight. Psychological Society, Ros Knight. Good morning, Ros. Good morning, Dean and Edwin. How are you this morning? <laughs> Very good, thank you. Uh, sorry about that long-winded uh, introduction there, but um, well, I know I know the stuff I don't have to say. <laughs> yeah, look, I mentioned um, you, you, two years ago you celebrated 50 years of service, and um, you know you, you've been offering a range of information and services to promote greater understanding of mental health issues and encourage uh, accurate reporting. Can you just sort of give us a, a bit of a, 
a brief outline as to some of the work that you do and I guess even some of the advocacy work on social issues that you do too. Yeah, no, thank you for that opportunity. As you said, we're the peak body for psychologists in Australia. Over 50% of psychologists are members with us, which is about 23,000. So that's you know quite a fair number. So I think the way that we try to advocate and to help the public is sort of threefold, really. Um, first of all, we you know resource up our members so that they've got best practice tools to help people. Um, we also provide tools directly for the public so that if they actually have particular issues they want help with, like depression or anxiety, um, then we've actually got tip sheets and other things for them there. But also we advocate to government for best practice and really what we want to do is make sure good psychological services are available to the Australian community all the time at times when they need it and in a way that they can receive it. So homelessness, as you just mentioned, is you know one of those crucial issues that impacts mental health and also um, you know um, can be a cause of mental health problems but equally can be a sign of mental health problems. So there's lots of those um, sort of issues that we try and stay across and provide some input to community on. And you mentioned, um, you know, your services to psychologists themselves. We know that obviously mental health um, includes things such as emotional, psychological and uh, social well-being. I guess it affects how we feel, um, think and act. And one of the key things that you just sort of said before was um, you offer those services to, to your 23,000 members as well, who most people would think, oh, why would they need it? Because they're in the industry. Ah, uh, sorry, I phrased that badly then. Okay. We don't provide our own EAP services. Um, no, but, but they do they, they do have those opportunities as well? Oh, of course. We yeah. would expect that all psychologists would attempt to look after their own mental health, you know, practice what we preach. Mm. And, um, you know, staff of the APS, of course, have um, access to EAP services. And we, psychologists undertake what we call peer supervision regularly. So we're always trying to debrief and think about how we're managing our work. And it may come up in that context that people really should look after themselves a bit better, the same way we would say to a client who's seeing us under a lot of stress. Uh, sorry, this is Hydwin. <laughs> um, I was wondering, um, my workplace has just introduced the idea of a debrief at the start of the day, at the end of the day, uh, and it kind of helps... Uh, workers to kind of uh, go through the stresses of the day and how they could have dealt with it better and stuff like that. Do you think we need to be seeing more of that within our uh, just generally our workforce and that sort of thing? Because, I don't know, I found it personally very helpful to kind of dealing with the stresses. Listen, it's a fabulous um, initiative that your workplace is doing. It's, it's absolutely great. It helps you set the tone for the day and then helps you uh, debrief the day go home to your family and put all of the work stuff aside and be really present with your loved ones. So it's actually a great initiative to have more of those sorts of um, opportunities to debrief work and to think about um, what you've achieved with work to actually make it more positive. And, Rose, I think um, with, with you know, um, the rise in things like domestic violence and, I guess, um, you know, young men or men in general um, self-harming and committing crimes uh, against themselves, what, what are some of the practical tips that um, the APS could provide to people who might be um, trying to find the right psychologist and, and I guess, to, to protect themselves from potential uh, harm, so to speak? 
Um, there's probably two aspects to that, Dean. The first one is obviously if you feel you're in imminent harm, mm. you should t- contact the police. Like, let, let's be clear, if, if you feel you're a victim of crime or that um, you're at risk of domestic violence, then taking immediate action to get, action to get assistance is really crucial. But assuming it's not that crisis moment that you're talking about, um, to get access to good psychological services, thanks to the government's initiative with Medicare, is, is not that hard anymore. You can go to your GP. And most GPs have a set of psychologists now that they trust and believe have been useful in helping them, um, particularly with life issues. Then there is, um, you can call our Find a Psychologist service at the APS. We have a list of all of our members what they're specialising in, where they are, so we can help you find somebody close to you who's invested in your issue. And, of course, um, having done all that, talk to family and friends. You know, we should talk about mental health more Mm. than we do. It should be okay. The same way we say to somebody, hey, have you got a good hairdresser? To say, hey, have you seen a good psychologist? Do you know a good psychologist around the place? Uh, And not feel that that's stigmatising. And then finally, of course, if you come up with a name or two, Give the person a ring, have a chat, make sure you feel comfortable and think you could go in and have a chat with them. Um, and if you don't like them, try somebody else. That's, I think that's just good practice. And I, I really do like that idea, as you say, of finding the right person for you because I guess humans are subjective, fickle beings and we really need to find someone we gel with when we're kind of pouring through the contents of our brain. Oh, absolutely. You've got to trust somebody. You know, you've got to feel like they're going to get you. So um, you should always try and chat with them first or at least use the first session to check out, do I feel safe here? Do I feel like they get me? Are they suggesting stuff that's going to help me change? Mm-hmm. And, and I think, um, you know, most people will have to pass that first hurdle, which is seeking help, which is a big deal. And they should, you know, be proud of taking that step. And once they've then made that, that association with a psychologist, do, do you believe that most people who might be there, this is probably not a question you can answer, but that which should, is it important for people to set goals for, for therapy and what they want to achieve out of that once they find a psychologist? Oh, absolutely. I think, um, Therapy is usually a mutual process. So I myself am a clinical and counselling psychologist, so I feel like I can have a crack at this one. (laughs) Um, It's a mutual process. So it means that you come in going, well, I've got this problem and it's not working for me. Um, The psychologist goes, okay, well, what I know about research says, you know, these sort of things might help you, but we need to be clear what we're trying to achieve. You know, we're not going to fix your life, in inverted commas. We're just going to try and help you change something that's not working for you and hope that that then leads for life to be more fulfilling. And, um, you know, you can then set new goals if you feel the need or usually most people walk out after about five or six sessions going, hey, yeah, I feel much better. I guess one thing um, I've noticed definitely also is... um. Mental health is a continuum, so whilst people with mental illness definitely need to reach out and, you know, if they feel comfortable, access those services, uh, people who are also mentally healthy shouldn't be too afraid of also reaching out to those services. Uh, is that kind of right? Because I, I do know there's this, this culture building up of, hey, it's okay, even if you're feeling very mentally healthy, to still go and, you know, talk things through and work things out with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think having somebody fairly neutral that you can talk to is always of benefit. So, you know, family and friends, of course, you should be talking to them. That's part of being mentally healthy, but often they have a perspective. So being able to talk to somebody neutral um, is a really good idea. There's a large amount of research around positive psychology. 
and coaching, so building forward, not just remediating. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's psychologists who specialise in that field as well. And with that mention of community, um, how can we kind of, as a community, I suppose, reach out and connect with uh, each other and individuals to try and make sure we're on this track to mental health healthiness? Indeed. Now, that's the million-dollar question. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Yeah. At 7.40 in the morning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We'll just solve the world um, peace while we're at it, shall we? Excellent. Um, yeah. Listen, it is about how we connect as community and recognising these days that community has been redefined. It's not that we often all travel to, say, a central church or a central community point anymore. Mm. Um, often communities are online. Um, it's having that sense of close enough to some people to be able to really talk to them about what's bugging us. So however people find that, whether it's um, these days an online forum or whether it's through a social club or whether it's still just good family and friends that you've made over the years, mm-hmm. um, reaching out to them and chatting in the first instance is absolutely the way to go. And I think the APS um, are taking a step in trying to build that community because I know um, you know, you've got some discussion papers and reviews there that people can look at. But more importantly, as a, as a society, you advocate on, on social issues that sort of range from, you know, um, uh, ageing to disability to violence to, to human rights and housing and homelessness, which, you know, allows people to be able to get that information from online. Yes, we do. Um, like I said, our... Um focus is really to make sure that psychological services and a psychological point of view is available to the Australian public. Mm. So yes, we have lots of key issues we get involved in that we feel quite passionate about. And and you've just mentioned some of the main ones that are, are happening for us this year. So um, those what we call cyclopedia papers are available. We try and make them in non-jargon speak <laughs> so that uh, you don't feel like you need a psych degree to understand what we're saying. Nice. Um, and yes, people can get online and have a look at that or give us a call and we'll direct them to where some information is. Well, Ross, thank you very much for joining us on 3CR. We really appreciate you giving us a bit of an insight into the organisation and, more importantly, how um, you know people can, can, can find... A, a reach out. And reach out for an organisation such as yours. Thank you very much. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. No Thanks, problem. Ros. And that was uh, Ros Knight, who is the president of the Australian Psychological Society. Now, it was a, it was a little bit left to talk to, to mm. uh, a peak body of psychologists, yeah. but it's great to sort of see that even within their individual um, scope, they do have a body and an organisation that they can rely on to be able to help them facilitate the work that they need to. Definitely, it sounds really fantastic. I think her point about, you know, information is power, so we have information accessible and reaching out is a wonderful one to take away from it. And just because we are covering issues of mental health, um, and that is a bit of heavy content, I've just got a few uh phone numbers here for people who do feel like they need greater support. So um, for all the youth out there, we've got the Kids Helpline, which is one eight zero zero double five one eight zero zero. So that was just one eight zero zero double five one eight zero zero. And Lifeline, which yep. is one three one 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 four, and that's uh, crisis support and suicide prevention. And we've also got um, Beyond Blue. Beyond Blue, one three double zero. Two two four six three six. That was one three double o two two four six three six. And those are just yeah, 
just in case you're listening, <laughs> we hadn't given you a content warning for the International World Mental Health Day. Uh, we're now going to go to a quick song and come back with another interview. And that is Opal Ocean, a Melbourneian band, with their song Mexicana, all in capitals, strangely enough. I'm not sure what that says about the song, but it's a fantastic one. And you can find them, actually, uh, either on their album or busking in Melbourne. Uh, that's where I found them. So, yeah, pretty funky band. <laughs> anyway. Help 3CR support the rights of Indigenous Australians. 
They mean to save our culture and save our dreams, our footprints, dreams, our songline, and keep our culture going strong. Of course, a lot of the Aboriginals, having been stolen, were put into state care, and also others. The recognition were. of what our people have been through in the last 200 years, the recognition of our culture in the last 40,000 years, and the recognition of where we are heading into the future. Welcome to uh, Survival Day, Invasion Day. 223 years ago, the white man landed on our shores. Subscribe to 3CR and help keep Indigenous voices on air. Call us on 94198377 or visit 3cr.org.au. Subscribe now. The Indigenous Social Justice Association Melbourne is continuing its Stop Failing Our Kids campaign until this year's Victorian state election. We're asking people to sign an online petition and to send postcards to Premier Daniel Andrews calling for his government to abandon plans to build a $288 million youth prison at Cherry Creek. We want that money directed to culturally appropriate programs to address the underpinning issues rather than incarcerating children. For more information and to sign the petition, visit Istra Melbourne's Facebook page. Postcards are available at 3CR and locations listed at istramelbourne.com. Premier, it's time your government stopped failing the kids. It's Jim Melbourne is a 3CR supporter. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. And it's nearly 10 to 8. It's time now to um, get to our next guest. We've been talking uh, about uh, you know some of the things that are happening around Mental Health Week. Um, a couple of weeks back, four state-based uh, neurological organisations, Epilepsy Foundation, MND Victoria, Multiple Cirrhosis Limited and Parkinson's Victoria Limited, uh, who represent over 80,000 Victorians with debilitating health conditions, are lobbying governments to ensure that uh, funding gaps uh effective from the 1st of July 2009 do not result in the loss of services to 80,000 people living with neurological conditions. To find out a little bit more about this, um, I guess, uh, the lobbying and, and, and what the four state-based neurological organisations are attempting to do, we're joined by Rod Harris, who is the CEO of Motor Neuron Disease Association of Victoria. Good morning, Rod. Good morning. Um, thanks for taking the opportunity to talk to us. Um, I, I just mentioned there in our intro that... Uh, you, you know the, the the health conditions that you're lobbying for. Um, you're not sure that the funding gaps will occur as of the first of July, or you, you sort of seem to think that uh, the, you know it, it's going to happen. No, the funding gaps will uh, occur because they're an unintended consequence of the transfer of disability funds from. Uh, the state government to the Commonwealth government mm. uh, or the National Disability Insurance Scheme. That's right. Um, and obviously, it, it, in terms of what you're pushing for, is just making sure that when it does move from the state to the federal, that it does sort of, you know, keep making sure that the money keeps flowing through. Well, that's right. What uh, happened as an unintended consequence was that uh, funds that were allocated for information delivery uh, were identified as being in relation to people with a disability and the NDIS. Mm. Unfortunately, what uh, the state 
government didn't recognise was that there are a significant population of the progressive neurological conditions that are not going to be eligible for the NDIS. And there's another significant group of people who are over the age of 65 who are equally not eligible for the NDIS. So we've got this unintended outcome that uh, the services that are supporting those people uh, will be lost. And I think, as you said, 80% of the people living with things like motor neurone disease, Parkinson's, um, aren't going to have that, you know, $5 million available. And, and why, what's the main reason why they don't fall under that NDIS scheme? I mean, it's, it's hard to, to understand NDIS as it is, but what's the main reason that, <laughs> that you don't fall under that? Well... The, the diseases do, if the uh, progression of their condition creates disability that is, uh, requires a reasonable and necessary response by the NDIS. Mm. But many of these people need information about their disease to help them self-manage, to help them uh, keep control of their lives. And it's that information funding that, uh, that is disappearing. The, uh, the need to uh, be able to inform people about their disease and its impact takes on many guises. It's information that might be printed or published on a website, mm. but it's also the information that's provided face-to-face so that people with those diseases are able to apply the information that they've got and print in, into their own context because information is only useful if it, if it uh, fits with the context in which being, it's being used. And I mentioned that you're, you, along with three others, uh, are the ones that are lobbying for this. I mean, with your organisation, M&D, over the last three years with Neil Danaher on board, you seem to have obviously come to the forefront of, of people. But without, without this support, I mean, uh, uh, this is just... Um, uh, I'm generalising here, people might think that you've got the funds to be able to provide all the details, but there's still, you know, work to put in and, and some of the money isn't necessarily going into that, but it's going into research. Well, all of Neil, nearly all of Neil Danaher's uh, fundraising, which has been a, been a terrific uh, effort at raising awareness of motor neurone disease in particular, mm. uh, does go to research. And the funds that... Uh, we and the other three neurological agencies rely on have been traditionally provided by the state government for a specific purpose, uh, which is about raising, raising people's knowledge and understanding. It's about supporting health professionals who are working with those people with education, information and support and uh, attempting to ensure that people can live as well as they can for as long as they can managing their own disease. And I think that's where, you know, those support groups who provide that significant um, social and emotional support for, for those vulnerable um, in helping reduce high levels of social isolation can result in maybe a smaller mental health problem, whereas, you know, without this funding, people suffering those diseases might find themselves in a situation where this manifests into a, a mental health issue as well. Very true. And I think the other element is if we can keep people out of crisis and emergency access to the health system and keep them uh, self-managed at home, we're able to free up the resources that the state health system has to support those people with mental health conditions. 
Um, you know, it, it, there's a finite amount of, of resources out there that uh, people access, and uh, to lose five million out of uh, the progressive neurological conditions is just going to place pressure on the entire system that we think is avoidable, and. Uh, for the benefit of, of people living with those diseases. It's not about the organisation. Mm. It's about those people. And, and I think, you know, people who might not have a, um, a, a personal experience with something like epilepsy or something like MS or something like uh, Parkinson's, it, it's, it, it, it's not at the forefront and it's hard for them to conceptualise how that, that, that support network is really, really important. Well, that's very true, and I suppose when you look at something like epilepsy, which is one of the most common comorbidities of people with a disability, uh, health workers, disability workers need support in managing not just the primary disability, but also the epilepsy, that's the comorbidity. And similarly with the other disease, you know, when you talk about motor neuron disease, yes, a fairly small number of people with motor neuron disease in Victoria but high levels of need created within the health and community sector. And uh, if we can manage to keep all of those health workers aware of those four uh, neurological disabilities and the needs that they create and help them manage better, we're actually improving the quality of care for all people. And, um, Rod, just to, to get more of an understanding, am I right in saying that a neurological uh, disorder is not necessarily a, a mental illness, but um, things like depression and, and uh, schizophrenia and HDHD and things like that can develop from having some of those, you know, and having the uh, pressures not of not... Ne- yeah, not necessarily develop from, but become comorbidities okay. with those yeah. uh, diseases, and, and particularly depression. Um, where, you know, if people aren't receiving the support they, mm. they need, if they're not supported to manage their own condition, um, the, the results can be um, calamitous. Mm. And uh, we, we see that in motor neuron disease. We see that in, uh, in MS in particular. And uh, Parkinson's being a disease of, of long life, uh, but also starting in very young people now, um, you know, it's it's a uh, it's a broad swathe of impact that this funding has, and our our role, I think, is to make sure that we can keep people informed and self-managing, so that they stay out of the acute uh, hospital sector sector, and we reduce admissions. And Rodney, hi, it's Idwin here. It really does sound like it's almost uh, disenfranchising people from being able to, or, or disempowering people from being able to manage what they already are. I mean, you say here that, um, for example, 17,000 calls per year to the health information services will go unanswered. It's, it sounds like it's a fairly simple uh, choice to be made here to keep the sort of support that's already existent and working. Yeah, that's true, and I think that's why we're very comfortable in saying this is an unintended consequence of uh, government decision and the Mm. transfer of funds to uh, the NDIS. I don't think anybody intended to have this this, uh, service removed, Mm. but uh, the the history of disability funding and the way it was provided, you know, if you were a disability organisation 20 years ago and you were looking for health funding, it came out of disability. 
And so the decision of COAG, the Council of Australian Governments, to transfer disability funding to the NDIS, neglected to understand that there were people that wouldn't be eligible for the NDIS who were under 65, and uh, that people over the age of 65 uh, would certainly be not eligible because that uh, service is now taken up by aged care, which focuses on frailty and dementia. And I guess kind of, um, as Dean had mentioned before, this is not necessarily one of those issues which immediately jumps to mind in the public conscious or isn't enough in the public conscious. How do we draw more attention to this and go, hey, these people, you know, exist, uh, are living with these services and will be uh, disadvantaged if we take them away from them? Look, I think uh, the program that uh, we've got in underway to raise public consciousness is, uh, is one way of doing that. We are in, I think, very positive discussions with the state government. Um, however, this is a state commonwealth issue. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the discussions at that level become very protracted and complicated. And uh, to a degree, the neurological organisations have to rely on the state government to carry their end of the argument uh, with the Commonwealth and the NDIS. All we can do is keep making sure that this really important issue for progressive neurological conditions is uh, uh, raised with the appropriate people and that we make the public aware that this is a problem that needs fixing. Well, Rod, thanks for joining us in um, 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. And how can, how can people, um, yeah, I mean, uh, support the, the lobbying that you're doing? Is there anywhere they can go to find more information? Uh, yes, look, any of the organisation's websites will uh, will give them more information mm. about the organisations themselves. But uh, the simple uh, step of ringing up their local state MP and uh, telling their story, perhaps telling their story about their engagement with a progressive neurological disease, all helps to raise awareness and we can then drive the message home. Thank you very much and, um, yeah, have a good morning. Thank you very much for talking to me. And that was Rodney Harris, the CEO of um, Motor Neuron Disease Association of Australia, MND. Talking to us there about some of the, the, the challenges that, um, you know, will face them in terms of the delivery of education programs that support individuals living with conditions to better manage their, um, condition, whether it be, um, you know, uh, epilepsy or Parkinson's, anything that's uh, a neurological yeah. condition. Yeah, definitely. My name is Selva Coolidge-Shelvin and I am fighting for my life. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to have to flee your own country, spend days or weeks in a leaky boat on dangerous rolling seas and then arrive in a new country where you are terrorised even more? Well, that's the life confronting millions of people in this world who have no choice but to seek asylum. All these people want is a fair go, but here in Australia, our government, in our name, treats these desperate people with cruelty and inhumanity. Here at 3CR, we aim to give these people a voice, a chance to speak out and let you know that they are just like us, people with hopes and aspirations, people who deserve to be treated as we would expect to be treated 
if we found ourselves in this position. Refugee Radio is the voice of refugees. 10am every Sunday at 3CR 855 on the AM dial. So say I'm not a worthless human being Cause no one needs a worthless human being My family need a worthwhile human being Subscribe to your award-winning independent community radio, bringing you coverage of community issues and events. This is Beard Base Camp. Welcome to the Little Red Tulangi Treehouse. As you said, I'm down at the East West Channel picket, as it usually does start at 5.30am. The Lincoln Melbourne Authority have come here in the middle of the night and set up another drill rig here on Gold Street. The police were pretty keen to defend that with all their resources this morning. I think for Australians, in order to know ourselves, really fully know ourselves, in order to mature, we need to understand Aboriginal culture. We need to embrace it and realise that in coming here, you're now part of the longest continuing culture in the world. We need your support. Subscribe today. Call 9419 now. You're on 3CR. We just had an interview with Rodney Harris, our Chief Executive Officer at the Motor Neurons Disease Association of Victoria. And we're now going to go into something a little bit different. So last week I caught up in the city of Monash with um, Wesley and the city mayor, Paul. And we were talking about uh, the recent campaign called Raise Your Hand for the city of Monash. Um, which is a youth-led campaign that's just come about in the last two months, uh, advocating for a Headspace facility in the Council of Monash. So I mentioned earlier, but Headspace is a national youth mental health foundation, and it provides early intervention for 12 to 25-year-olds, promoting well-being and covering issues of mental and physical health, work and study support, and uh, information around substance abuse and support mechanisms for that. Um, so we'll go into some of the statistics later onwards about why this was necessary and kind of highlighting what Paul and Wesley had to say. But first, I'll, I'll let you hear their take on it. All right, I'm here with Mayor Paul from the city of Monash and Wesley, who's part of the campaign Raise Your Hand for Monash Youth. Uh, Wesley, can you tell us a little bit about the campaign? Okay, so recent studies have shown that the problem with mental health amongst the youth of Monash is exacerbating. In order to improve the well-being of our youth, which will also benefit our community as a whole, we need better support services in Monash. And this is being led primarily by students. Uh, What do you think the power of this movement is in comparison to different, I suppose, campaigns that have gone on in the past? This campaign is primarily focused around the youth in Monash. Mm -hmm. Having the student, that student or youth voice is much more captivating to the people in charge and getting them to hear our opinions will be a much better campaign to achieve our goals. And Paul, um, well, you're mayor of this area. Can you let us know kind of who this campaign would be targeting, the student population? Well, we know that we have about a quarter of our population is between the age of 10 to 24, so that's about 40,000 young men and women in Monash. Um, and can I just also just address the, the answer that Wes gave? I think the importance of why our youth are driving this campaign for a headspace in Monash is because adults, we think we know what the answers are, we may think we know what the issues are, but the reality is it's our young people who know what the real issues are and how they can be addressed. So I think it's important to make that note. Um, what was the question? Sorry again, I forgot what your question was. Sorry. I was wondering if you'd give us a breakdown of who this campaign would affect, so the students involved. Obviously, Monash is home to a lot of students, a lot of different schools. Um, why is a headspace facility 
necessary here okay. in this council? Well, it's necessary because 30% of our young men and women struggle with anxiety. 30% of our young men and women have anxiety. 30% um, of our young men and women um, have feelings of, are depressed. Mm. Um, some even feel like there's, there's no hope. So we, um, we've been campaigning for a long time now. This campaign started a couple of years ago. Um, the nearest headspace to Monash is just over an hour away. Mm. And that's simply not good enough. Our young people have been telling us that it simply doesn't work. To be able to, their capacity to, to jump on public transport, to use public transport, to travel an hour, um, isn't there. Um, for reasons that are very obvious. They may not have the money to, to use public transport. Their parents may not have the time to drive them um, back and forth. So our young people have been crying out for a very long time. Um, as Wes said, this is driven by them. Then the, um, the reality is that almost 10,000 young men and women in Monash um, are, de are, de are dealing with mental illness of some form. Um, these are alarming numbers. Mm. We know that 25% of our nation is struggling with mental illness. We've got a crisis on our hands. And our, our youth in Monash have been crying out for a very long time. And they, it almost seems that their cries have been, you know, on death ears. Yeah. Um, we've been very disappointed to date with the, um, the support we've been receiving from the federal government. Um, we travelled to Canberra earlier in the year to meet with the Minister, Minister Hunt, Minister for Health, um, and we walked away from that meeting with, with his advisor um, with one message, and that was that the key to our success, that the key to our youth getting a headspace in Monash lay at, 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 the, at the lap of the, the local member in Chisholm. Um, a letter from her um, would have gone a long way to help our cause. That, that letter has never materialised. So we, we've, um, we, the campaign goes on. Um, and in more recent times, we had your uh, Raise Your Hand for Monash Youth campaign, which was launched less than a month ago, um, to keep that flame burning to get the attention of our politicians, uh, the lawmakers, um, that it's simply not good enough that 9,600 young men and women in Monash don't have a headspace, have very limited access to, um, to services um, that they require. And I suppose this, is, this does affect huge amounts of students. Um, whereas within the school environment, how do you find that affects peers' uh, not only struggling with mental illness, but I suppose looking for support. Do you think that we provide anything at the moment? Uh, so, besides the wonderful Monash Youth Services, uh, that does a bit of training um, within the secondary schools of Monash City, they have currently trained two schools, and they have three fully trained youth workers. Hmm. But, I guess it all comes down to the awareness of um, the people around our community. It's very important that we get more publicity on the issue so that uh, young students in Monash City can focus on their studies and progress through their life. And I guess a question for both of you. Do you think there's currently a stigma attached to mental health um, issues that we need to kind of overcome for this? Mental health has always been a very complex issue. Those who have faced problems with their mental well-being will obviously be affected in some way for the rest of their lives. 
What I can say is that young people should not feel ashamed or, or disgraced to ask for help or just someone to talk to. And I suppose uh, with uh, World Mental Health Day coming up and the week, do you think uh, initiatives like World Mental Health Week and Are You OK Day and stuff like that help within the school environment? Yep, so these um, events are Australia-wide. They are national, so they do help because they help other people to just get that sense of that realisation that, oh, someone is actually facing anxiety and stress every single day. Mm. And how about you, Mayor? Do you think these sorts of initiatives uh, should be run on the council a bit more and promoted more? Look, we're very proud, Monash, of, of our efforts to date. Um, and we've been working very closely with WES and all our youth. Um, as I said, this campaign started two years ago and, and we will not stop until we get a um, dedicated health service um, in, the, in the form of a headspace in Monash. It's, as, I, as I've said earlier on, this generation uh, of young people um, are facing issues um, and pressures that my generation never did. Um, with the internet and social media and the pressures that come with all that, um, I, can only, I could only imagine how difficult it would be to be a young person mm. in 2018. Um, but as I said earlier on, as an adult, I may have an, an understanding or believe I've got an understanding of what the issues are, but the reality is I really don't. It's our young people that are telling us and, and educating us and alerting us to the real issues. On the issue of stigma, um, it would be very hard um, to, uh, for our young people to, to, um, to, to, you know, to speak out and, and, and reach out. Um, but as adults, all we can do is let them know that it's okay. It's okay to put your hand up. It's okay to um, seek help. And that's what I tell Wes and that's what I tell all the young people. Don't be afraid to you know, reach out and to speak to someone um, because no one's, none of us are judging. Um, it's, we, we, live in, we live in some really challenging times, as I said, for our, particularly for our young. And you know, they need to know that they're going to be underpinned by you know, good people, good services, um, and it all starts with Headspace in Monash. Mm. So I suppose I've kind of neglected a little bit this name Headspace, but I was wondering, uh, kind of what do you think Headspace is and why do you think it's so necessary here? Um, so just to give a little background information, the psychological problems in youth come from three sources. Inherited factors from parents, psychological factors from abuse and neglect, and social factors such as poverty and racism and discrimination. Many of these problems manifest under the age of 25, and if not addressed properly, could lead to chronic issues that may affect someone for the rest of their life. These issues may result in decreased productivity and other complications, so it's really important that the youth have somewhere to turn to, to solve these problems sooner than later. Many young people who consult their doctors don't know what to do, or when they do find a therapist, find themselves at the back of a very long line, and when they do eventually receive help, they're bom often bombarded with loads of paperwork and other formal formalities that are entirely unnecessary. Headspace is a national youth mental health foundation that has proven to be effective. In 2013, they alone served 41,000 youth across Australia. 93% have claimed that the service has successfully improved their mental health. The foundation now spreads to Canada to work there.
I was just going to say, our, our, our youth ambassadors and our young people have been telling us that their GP is not the solution. And, and Wes would agree with that. Um, their teachers aren't the solution at school. Their career advisors aren't the solution at school. Those, those young men and women who've been able to access um, Headspace um, tell us that it really works. Um, they feel safe. Um, they feel they have, um, they have people who know what they're doing and, and can guide them. And that's, and, and, that's, and that's the bottom line, and that's why it's so important. Simply going to your GP doesn't work. Simply going to your career advisor school doesn't work. Um, it's a he- it's headspace um, and and the professionals that work in that space uh, that are the key. So I was just wondering, what would you say to uh, people your age, I suppose, about getting involved one with this kind of campaign, but also just mental health issues and awareness in general? So again, to add on to what um, Paul said, young people are more appealing to other young youths. They are more capable of understanding the circumstances of their situation. Thus, having young people run this campaign will not only make it stronger, but also make the youth experience, experiencing stress feel a sense of belonging, rather than just having an adult treat them. Involving young people gives them an opportunity to connect to something greater than themselves. So, if you're a young person, I suggest that you connect to something greater than yourself to create a change for your living environment and make an impact. That was fantastic. And I suppose um, for anyone who is interested in getting involved with your campaign, how would they go about that? Um, it's very easy. Maybe just uh, search up uh, Monash Council. There's um, a few facts for you to look over. And then maybe contact your friends. They'll probably know something. Um, and just and that was Wesley's last words um, uh, last week uh, when, when we were talking about his campaign that he's part of called Raise Your Hand for Monash. And that's all advocating for a um, headspace facility to be in the city of Monash. And just to reiterate some of the points that was raised, uh, it takes about a young person about 63 minutes to access a headspace from the city of Monash. And in the city of Monash, there are 44 primary schools alone, and many more of you actually include secondary schools. So there's about 40,000 people between the ages of 10 and 24, and so this, I think, is an extremely relevant thing to them. And I think there's so much power between uh, behind a student-led campaign such as this. So it's absolutely fantastic to have that opportunity. And a big thank you goes out to uh, Wesley and Mayor Paul. Um, for you, any, anyone interested in kind of finding out more, uh, Headspace does have a website, so that's just headspace.org.au. And to just reiterate helplines, um, the Kids Helpline is one eight double o double five one eight double o. That was one eight double O double five one eight double O. Join three CR's breakfast teams at our annual film fundraiser on Saturday, October thirteenth. At Loop Project Space and Bar, twenty three Myers Place, Nam. And we will be screening the film Life Is Waiting, looking at referendum and resistance in Western Sahara, followed by a post show live panel discussion featuring Kamal Fadel from the Australian Western Sahara Association. Now, tickets are a good $15 for the waged and $5 unwaged at the door, so come along, have a bit of fun. 
All proceeds go to Keeping Breakfast Programming on Air as 3CR, so you can keep hearing these beautiful voices we have at our radio station. And that, again, will be on Saturday, the 13th of October from 5 p.m. Film starts at 6, um, preferably show up by 5.30, and hopefully to see you all lovely people there. Well, I love 3CR, and so I'm going to definitely be there. Tomorrow on Thursday Breakfast, we will be having uh, we'll be having quite an exciting array of things. We'll be looking at whether mental health issues for people. Uh, we'll be looking at people who have been in incarceration who have experienced mental health issues and how they deal with it. And they'll be talking to people like Professor Skinner, Stuart Skinner, who will be talking about why a new approach is justified on human rights, public health, public safety, and economic grounds. Uh, 1 to 2 p.m. Living Free will also feature guest speakers from Bipolar Life for a special show. So there's just a huge amount of coverage coming up about this, and I really strongly emphasize that you tune in to their voices and their stories because they'll be much more informed and... Ah, deep with the subject and interesting, yeah. And just quickly, there is Respect, Protect, Reconnect, Melbourne's Grassy Plain. So it's a conference for the community, professionals and all who share an interest in uh, conservation of Melbourne's Grassy Plains. It starts on Friday, the 12th of October from 9 till 5 and it runs until Saturday, uh, the 13th of October from uh, 12 till 5. There's a luncheon and it's uh, at the Wyndham Council Chambers. It's a free event thanks to their sponsors. So you can go to um, the Wyndham Council website to have a quick look and uh, make sure you get involved. As I said, it's uh, Melbourne's Grassy Plains. It's a conference for the community and professionals who all share an interest in uh, conservation of Melbourne's Grassy Plains. Why put that on the website? Because, ah, there we go, www.grassyplains.org.au or you can email grassyplainsnetwork at gmail.com to register for free. Yeah. Before we wrap up the show, we might, um, we've been talking about um, Mental Health Week, um, and I know, Madwin, um, you had um, some definitions that you asked people yes. what they thought mental health meant. <laughs> yes, I'm going to put you on the spot, Dean. Uh, at some point, I'd like to hear your definition of mental health uh, and oh, what you oh, do to oh, keep oh, healthily, uh, to, to keep <laughs> mentally healthy and fit. But <laughs> from now, we'll go to the uh, World Health Organization. So, mental health is officially defined as a state of well-being in which every individual realizes his or her potential and can cope with the normal stresses of life. It can also work productively and fruitfully and is able to make a contribution to his or her community. So there's quite a few parts to that definition. Mm. And I always think um, I always think we have our very stiff, rigid, this is what it is definitions. But everyone has their individual thoughts and opinions. So I decided to go around and get some of those. So um, a few people I asked, one person I said was, mental health was having clear, well-defined thoughts so your mind doesn't wander around like a monkey with no control. <laughs> uh, not having your thoughts so loud that you can't hear yourself think, if that makes sense. I think it makes a huge amount of sense. Uh, another, one, another person said, it is loving and respecting yourself and being able to modulate your emotions in a way that is good for your well-being. Uh, that person also suggested uh, that they go for bike rides uh, to let them kind of blow off steam and release endorphins. So there you go. That's one way people are keeping mentally fit. Um, our own presenter, Judith, points out that what these definitions, so what the World Health Organization definition possibly doesn't cover is the fact that uh, the broader political and social picture that plays into mental health, uh, uh, saying that she says, sorry, Judith says that she feels physically and mentally unwell with what our government is doing to refugees on Manus and Nauru. 
And with this idea of uh, coping or coping, keeping mentally fit, uh, we had I had one person come up with an absolutely brilliant or share an absolutely brilliant strategy, and I thank them very much for sharing with this with me because it is obviously a very intimate experience but they said that to make themselves feel better they had a list of people next to their bed of people they could call and would know would pick up and they also had a list of activities one to eight and what they'd do is they'd roll the dice when they when they felt like they couldn't do anything they would roll the dice let the dice choose for them and then go out and do that activity or, or try to do that activity and that gave them some real direction and something to keep their mind Kind of active. We've got an eight-sided dice. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, there's twenty-sided awesome. dice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, Dean, that's a you, really good. One. That's, that's a, a really good brilliant one. one. Yeah, because you can get down and you know instead of sitting down and just sort of mulling and watching TV and mm. wallowing in your own thoughts. Hey, ruminate. Yeah, totally. Let that choose for you. Um, my dad <laughs> went down the the route of Foucault <laughs> with knowledge is power and who gets to say who's sane and who is not. Yeah. And the central que- the question is power is based on knowledge and what makes use of knowledge and that sort of stuff. So he was he was going down a different route, but that was quite a fantastic philosophical wormhole I got myself caught in. Yeah, it's getting to the um. Is he one of the great sociologists? Max Weber's friend. <laughs> yeah, we also had um, some other people thought. My mother thought it was just a lack of balance. She said how you look after things. So when something's out of whack, when something's not right, and I like that idea because mm. it's when you're feeling like, hang on, this is not normal. Yeah, that's yeah. when you go and recap. And the word normal only obviously oh. it relates only to you. Totally to you, totally. not everybody. Else. So it's to yeah. your normal, I yeah. suppose. That's a brilliant <laughs> that's point. Right. Um, I guess for me, I would say it's just um, yeah, being able to be at peace with I guess who you are at any given point in time. Mm. But then you've got in, to, to, to Judith's point. Uh, things that happen that are outside your control. Yeah. And I think for me, my my mental health is all about not wallowing in the past and looking forward. Yeah. You can't change what's happened in the past, but hopefully you can learn from it. And, <laughs> yeah. And I've made those same mistakes in the, in the future. <laughs> and I'll keep going forward. But as long as you know uh, that it's okay to make mistakes. Yeah. And it's okay to feel unwell. Um, mm. That's that you're in a good mental health mental space. If you're not happy with feeling unwell then you can do something about it, but it's like seeing a professional. Totally, totally. And some other some other things that people came up with to keep themselves mentally uh, fit, one of my favourite ones or, or the one that really interested me was uh, one of the, the people said that they, they ensure that they make their environment to suit how they like it. So, for example, natural lighting or with colours that they find calming, organised if not neat, you know, uh, feeling content with things and excited about improvement rather than scared about change. And it's that, they, it, it was interesting because I asked for people's definitions, but they very much gave me approaches to how they... How yeah, which, which is what I what I did too. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, other people it's hard do, to define it. Yeah, it's very know. hard to define yeah. it. And the second you are told to make a definition, you think, oh, this better be good and all-encompassing, <laughs> you know, oh, correct. Yeah, well, and, what, and so getting back to what we were saying before, what yeah. is the correct definition? I, I, totally. I had the nerve to ask is, um, you know, does, does a mental health illness come from having a neurological disease? Mm. And as Rod said, no, say not. <laughs> no, <but> no. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. But it's about bringing these questions out, and I think, I don't know, it, this was a fascinating experience for me because I found that everyone had common commonalities, but everyone had very different ways of dealing with it. So I know someone said um, arts and crafts is a great way of dealing yeah. with, you know, of, of 
remaining mentally fit and mentally healthy. Now, I can't stand arts and crafts. I get crazy, but I do Sudoku <laughs> like crazy. I think that's my, that's my thing. Um, oh, now I'm going to obsess about an eight-sided dice yeah, and then find I'm the eight it. things that I like doing <laughs> to be able to roll that dice. Yeah. So those are some of the contributions. We had people cooking. We had people saying, screw it. You know, if it's not going to impact me negatively, I should push myself into it. Yeah. You know, uh, we had people talking to their family. And um, we had one which I loved, which was mental health for me is, not about, is about having enough happiness and joy in my life to be engaged and productive and passionate about what I do, mm. which mm. is pretty fantastic. And on that one, we'll close up with the definitions. But... Maybe ask, you know, people around you, what is your definition of mental health? And get that conversation going because, uh, as our guests today have said, um, it's really important about just reaching out to other people. And I think, yeah, Ross Knight definitely said that and so did Rodney Harris. So it's just about, yeah, accessing your, the community that exists around you. And we would like to thank our guests, um, <laughs> uh, Ros Knight from um, the Australian Psychological Society and they are at www.psychology.org.au and uh, Rodney Harris from MND. Victoria. And just quickly, yeah, just qu- announce those numbers. <laughs> yeah, just quickly, we'll just give you the numbers again if anything has triggered you or made you feel uncomfortable. Lifeline, uh, the Lifeline Australia number is 13 11 14. That was 13 11 14. Um, as well as Kids Helpline, which is 1800 double five 1800. And Beyond Blue is 1300 224634. And there are, there are a number of um, uh, services and service providers out there that you can find. Obviously, um, you can always just type in mental health and, um, you know, you'll get a whole list of um, organisations come up. But thank you very much for joining us on... (laughs) 3CR Wednesday Breakfast. Thank you. And we will be back again next week. Up next, stick together. Stick together. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. 3CR relies on the support of ethical organisations to keep our vital community of voices on air. And we'd like to thank our breakfast supporters, the new international bookshop, Nibs, at Trades Hall, and eco-friendly paper and printing outfit, Earth Greetings. You can check them out at nibs.org.au and earthgreetings.com.au. And if you'd like more information on how your organisation can become a 3CR supporter, contact the station on 03 9419 8377.